Hey, River Glen, Tim Harlow here. Thanks for being with us. We're talking about what made Jesus mad. Um, here's the thing. Everybody loves Jesus. He's like Raymond. I mean, seriously, have you ever had a conversation with anyone who said, ah, oh, that Jesus guy, I can't stand him. Healing people, loving people, caring for the outcasts, dying a horrible death because he thought it could save our souls. What a jerk, right? You haven't heard that because I haven't. Even if they don't believe his story at all, you can't not like Jesus because Jesus was cool. Even if you're a kid with atheist parents, you're like, okay, good. Jesus is born, I get presents. Jesus dies, I get candy. Go Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. As a matter of fact, sometimes people are weird about Jesus. They're so desperate to find Jesus. They're like, man, I see him in a frying pan. You see that? Oh, there, there's Jesus in a Kit Kat bar. Jesus on a tortilla. Jesus on a banana. Jesus on a piece of fried chicken. But here's my all-time favorite, Jesus in a Cheeto. And you know what we call him, Jesus. So what's the problem then? If so many people like Jesus, why are so many people not interested in following him? That's a question I have to ask as a church leader. And I think the problem is us. Um, I'll just go me, not you, me. I, I like that the world sees Jesus as their buddy because he is and he was and he loves them and he died for them. But for a few weeks here, I'd like to think about the side of Jesus that should make the church press the pause button and pay attention. Okay, I'm talking about the Jesus who made a whip and drove people out of the temple. Jesus who told people they would be better off with a big rock tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. Jesus who called people names like you brood of vipers, you unmarked graves, you sons of hell. I mean, let me just let me just say up front that, that so you know where I stand. Jesus was nice and he was loving to his followers and to the out people that, that, that nobody else loved. He said things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, right? He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I am gentle and humble in heart. That all sounds nice, but what about this? You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? I mean, I just got to ask you, if somebody tweeted that today, it would sound a little inflammatory, right? That was Jesus. His words could sometimes be sharp and biting. Many of the things Jesus said were either a direct condemnation of someone's attitude or behavior or a story told to illustrate the condemnation because Jesus was angry. And all I'm saying is when the son of God gets mad, we should pay attention. We learn more about a person from the things they don't like than what they do like. When you were a kid, did you, do you ever remember doing anything that made your parents mad? Yeah? And the next time, did you kind of like think about maybe not doing it again? Like I, I remember, you know, calling my dad a name one time when I was a kid and then I never did it again. To this day, I can't tell you his favorite television show or his favorite breakfast cereal, but I do know one name he does not like to be called. Note to self. The bigger question is, who was Jesus mad at? Well, I always knew that Jesus was angry, but his anger was directed at the Pharisees. And then one day I realized that the Pharisees were just the church leaders of their day. And it was Jesus's church. 
As a matter of fact, it was his father's idea of how church should be done, right? So check this. These were the people, Jesus was mad at the people appointed by God for the purpose of enacting God's system of religion. They weren't from some radical extreme cult. They were God's appointed church leaders of which Jesus was a part. He was a Jew. And when that hit me like a ton of bricks, I started to wonder if anything that I do could cause Jesus to be mad at the church leaders of today. Could it be my issue? It caused me to write a book on the subject, What Made Jesus Mad. Uh, you can get it on Amazon or, or wherever. Uh, you know, there's an audio book with it and everything else as well. I'd love for you to read it. Uh, I, I really think it's an important subject. What I discovered were four basic attitudes that trip Jesus' switch. Legalism, judgmentalism, hypocrisy, and indifference to need, to suffering. That, that makes sense, right? And do we still have those problems today? Yeah. See, the bigger aha moment for me as I was studying this was when I realized that those bad attitudes that made Jesus angry uh, could sometimes be my attitude. In every instance where Jesus expressed anger, the rawest of human emotions, that the match that lit his fuse was do not let your bad religious attitudes get in the way of God's love. What was it that made Jesus cringe? The religious phonies, the arrogant judgmental judges, the unjust legalists, and the hypocrites. Eh, they make me cringe also, right up until the time I examine myself and realize that my own natural gravitational pull veers in the same direction. And the real tragedy about this propensity that we all have to drift from God's heart is what it does to those on the outside. Those who may have been led to believe that Jesus doesn't want them around or that Jesus is angry at them, which couldn't be further from the truth. All Jesus ever wanted for them, for me, for all of us was to come home. In the movie Gladiator, the central character Maximus states, Caesar once had a vision of what was supposed to be Rome, and this is not it. Like Maximus, I kind of believe Jesus had a vision for what the church was supposed to be, and many times this is not it. What I'm saying is that if you or one of your friends has had a hard time following Jesus and being in a relationship with your Father in heaven, it's probably because his followers have been badly representing him and there's still hope for things to be different. I want it to be different for all of us. Woe to you teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Here it is. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. What made Jesus mad? Denied access to the Father. Think about it this way, okay? Jesus came to provide access to the Father. When he was crucified, it was symbolized very greatly because the veil in the temple was torn, according to Matthew 27, from top to bottom. And the veil was what separated the Holy of Holies from everybody else, right? And it's this symbolic piece of the crucifixion scene that most people miss. The area behind the veil was the Holy of Holies where God dwelt. Only the high priest could go in and only once a year because it was such a holy place. And it was such a holy place that they literally tied a rope around his leg just in case as he came into contact with the creator of the universe, 
and he had a heart attack, maybe they could pull him out because no one else was allowed to go in. God set it up this way because he wanted, his, he, he wanted his people to know how much he wanted a relationship with them, but he also needed them to understand how deep the divide was between his holiness and our sinfulness. And he wanted us to be ready for a savior. And when the savior came at the crucifixion, the veil was torn from top to bottom. God's way of showing us that Jesus's mission was complete. And Jesus, while he was here, knew that's what his mission was going to be. And he knew the price he was going to have to pay for it. And that's why he was angry when people got in the way. Since Jesus knew the goal of access to God, and he knew how much God wants to be with us, denying access to God is what made him mad. So let me give you the logical place to start. A study on the anger of Jesus would probably naturally, in your mind, if you know scripture, start at what I call the temple tantrum, okay? The temple tantrum incident. When he overturned the tables and threw the money changers out, how do we not start there? Mark 11. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the table of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. I mean, when you're reading through the Gospels, this seems a little out of character for Jesus, right? So we need to break this down into the three parts of Jesus' statement. He said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So let me start with the den of robbers. The problem for me and, and most of us who have been Christians for a while, if that's you, is that we've always thought, I always thought that Jesus was mad about the fact that they're selling stuff in church. The temple tantrum was always seemed to be about the den of robbers. So what did we do with it? Well, the church can't be a market, right? So my dad was a pastor, you know, I mean, growing up, we couldn't have bake sales. We couldn't sell t-shirts in the church to raise money for a missions trip. Those of you who grew up Catholic, like most of my congregation, ironically didn't have that problem because you guys had bingo for crying out loud. You had Vegas nights. You didn't care about fundraising in the temple because you, you actually interpreted it probably the right way, but that's beside the point. That's why the way I grew up. Jesus doesn't like selling stuff in church. What I've realized with further study is that this is a bad interpretation of the Bible, okay? For one thing, and this is something we've learned through the coronavirus thing, the church is not the temple. We already knew the church wasn't the temple, but now that you know we had to go worship online and do things very differently, it's way different. Who's the temple? What's the temple? Me. Jesus came to abolish the need for the temple our church building is just a building, you know? I mean, wear what you want, uh, you know, bring in your coffee. God really doesn't care and, and neither do I because the church isn't the temple. Um, you know, when you're watching online, I think pants 
ought to be important. I'm just, I'm just saying that's me to you. But for another thing, the fact that they were providing a service by exchanging money or selling sacrifices had been a long acceptable practice. Yes, it was a service, so they paid more. It's like paying Uber Eats to drive your fast food over to you because you're too lazy to go through the drive-through to pick up your own artery-blocking dinner yourself, okay? You're gonna pay a little bit more for it. And Jesus did call, him, call them robbers, so there was something going on there. And, and, and you know, for those of you who are re-watching The Office again while you've been stuck at home, it's a scene where Dwight in The Office, it's the episode where he decides to corner the market on Princess Unicorn, you know, on Christmas. That's what it was. I mean, he was trying to corner the market. And that's what they were doing. You're going to pay extra for the service. But I don't, think that's the pro- I don't think that's the problem with Jesus in the temple. Let's take the other two parts together. This is not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers, okay? Here we go again. Den of robbers, yes. House of prayer for all nations, right? Let's talk about both of those. And I wanna show you how the temple was set up. Here's the temple in Jesus' day. You had the Holy of Holies here. You had the place where only the priests could go right here. Then you had the court of Jewish men who could go up this far because this was still a time when the men and women were separated. Then you had the court where the Jewish women would go. And then all of the outer court around that was the all nations part of the temple. Okay, It it was the place for the Gentiles, for the non-Jews to be. Jesus was in the outer court, the all nations part of the temple when he decided that enough was enough. This was, this was the court of Gentiles. It, it was even farther removed from the Jewish women where they gathered. It was a place where God provided access to the rest of the world. And this is where the robbers had set up shop. Does this change it for you? Because Jesus' anger was directed at the Jews who had turned the non-Jews' house of prayer into a market, thereby denying access literally to the outsiders who wanted to worship God which is what Jesus came to provide. I don't think it was about selling stuff nearly as much as it was about the commotion. Sell your stuff outside, not in the worship service. Sure, it was a ripoff, but you didn't have to buy it from them. You could bring your own sacrifice. So this really wasn't bothering the insiders at all. It was the outsiders. You see what I'm saying? Those who felt already farthest from the Father who were the ones who suffered most, that's when Jesus got mad. They were being robbed, not only of their hard-earned money, but of their very access to God. That's what made Jesus angry because that's what he came to provide. This was something Jesus cared deeply about. And his anger, by the way, was not just a split-second moment of passion. This event happened, according to Scripture, on the Monday morning of Jesus' final week before his death. The previous day, Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem. The crowds, you know, waved their palm branches, believing he was coming to be the new king. We call it Palm Sunday. And then on Palm Sunday night, the Bible records that Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. He knew what was going on already before he gets to Monday morning. So Monday morning is premeditated. This isn't just him blowing a fuse suddenly. He just didn't go incredible Hulk on them and shout, what in the name of me? 
This was more than a hasty statement about selling cookies in the foyer. It was a thought out, slow burning conviction about access to God. He wanted people to have access to God. John who wrote his gospel many years later tells us that the disciples remembered this event as a prophetic event from the Old Testament in Psalms where it says, zeal for your house consumes me. Jesus was zealous for access to God. Jesus died to provide access. Early 90s, just a few years after I had come to Parkview, I got a call on the phone one day, <laughs> which seemed like a prank call, but they were calling up and they said, hey, uh, the band Sticks is gonna do a reunion concert here in your area at the World Music Theater, it was called at the time, and the bass player wants to get married. He's got a fiance, and they were gonna get married after the thing is over, but they wanna get married right now. Wanna get married tonight on stage, or tomorrow night on stage. Would you do it? Inside, I'm like, are you kidding me? Sticks, man, yeah. I mean, I know, Mom, it's a river in hell. I get all that, but I love sticks. So I called my elders. I'm like, guys, what do you think? I mean, this is kind of crazy. It's tomorrow night. I don't, I'm not going to have time to do premarital counseling and you know, all that kind of stuff. And we talked and prayed about it. And they said, you know what? This will be an opportunity to present the gospel to a lot of people in a way and be an example in a way that who knows what will happen. So... Um, I did it, I said yes, and uh, came to the concert early, you know, all dressed up in my suit, the only guy, you know, styling it, and everybody else is, you know, just hanging out. And when I got there, they gave me this, um, an all-access pass. I keep it just in case the band gets back together, maybe I can sneak around backstage. What this gave me was access to be able to go anywhere I wanted. So I, I did. I mean, when it came time for the, you know, code song, I think it was Mr. Roboto, I, I, I got up and I went to the door and the big dude was there and he looked at my pass. I'm like, hey, I got the pass, man. And he's like, okay, come on in. And, and I went backstage and, and into the concert, they do come sail away, of course, that's gotta be the end. And then the lights go down and everybody knows it's just the big dumb fake out at the end of the concert because they're really gonna come back out again. And, except when they put the lights back up, I was out there and, and John and his fiance were out there and they were all together on stage and Dennis DeYoung gets up and he goes, hey, um, we're gonna have a wedding. And you know, everybody's just completely wasted by this time and they're like, yeah, yeah, And he's like, no, really, we're gonna have a wedding. This is Pastor Tim and this is John and his fiance and they're gonna do a wedding. So finally everybody quieted down. I did a quick wedding. I did a nice prayer presenting the gospel the best that I could. And then one of the greatest moments of my life. I mean, like in the highlight reel, one of the greatest moments of my life because I didn't know what was gonna happen afterwards. I prayed and turned around, you know, ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. John Panazzo. And over in the corner, Tommy Shaw started singing. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. It was just like goose. I still get goosebumps thinking about it. Don't you that are six fans? I mean, I was right there. It was incredible. What was I talking about? No, it didn't have anything to do with it. It was just a cool moment. I got all access to the whole place because it was given to me. 
Jesus came to give us all access to a relationship with our heavenly father, the relationship for which God created us in the first place. And he will throw tables out of the way or animals or people out of the way to make sure that we get to use this pass because he gave up his whole life to get us backstage. You see what I mean? God wants us in. He's calling us in. And Jesus is never going to just stand by and let anyone or anything keep us out. And I apologize to you on behalf of the church if someone has done that to you or your friends. It was not and never should have been Jesus' intent. As a matter of fact, he would create a scene in a holy place to make sure that everyone has access, even more so for the ones who are the furthest away. John said it like this. Maybe you've heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God, I just want to pray. Uh, I want to pray right now. If there are people listening to me, they're like, oh, I, I never knew that before. I didn't know that Jesus was angry at people for blocking the way to God. I, I just thought God was mad at me. Will you please help them to understand that you're not. You love them. You are the father who would run to meet them if they turned around and came home to you right now. Let them do that, Lord. Let them turn to you and come home. Open up their heart to you. And Lord, for the, those of us who are Christians already, just remind us how easy it is to get comfortable on the inside and forget about those on the outside. That's what it's always supposed to be about. Be with us in Jesus' name, amen.